It's good to see everyone here this morning. Thank you, Brent. If you're uh, visiting with us, let me also extend my welcome this morning. Have you ever heard something, a phrase, a, a word, uh, immediately alarmed you, caused concern, set off instant concerns? You know, maybe you're on a flight somewhere and the pilot comes on the PA system and says, I'm going to turn on the fasten seatbelt sign. The ride's going to get a little choppy. Or maybe the kids are playing in the next room and all of a sudden you hear, uh-oh. Well, let me introduce you to a new phrase this morning. Chris is not here and I will be speaking to you on his, uh, during his absence this morning. So we'll get through this. When there was something, when I was young, I didn't understand, I'd ask my dad, why did this happen? Why did that happen? I even, if I remember correctly, I even created my own word, why come? Why come this happened? Why come that happened? And sometimes all he could say was, I wish I had an answer. Haven't we all been there? When something happens, when a question is posed, and we wish we had an answer, but we just don't. You know, life is hard. And it's really, really tough sometimes. And it's filled with despair. You know, this picture of this woman here is an iconic picture from the Great Depression. You've probably seen it in your history books. And can't you just see the despair in her face. I know when my grandparents uh, told me growing up during the Depression, uh, all the difficulties that they faced, all the pain and the despair. And when life seems unfair and when there's some injustice in the world or, or when we just don't know why some tragedy or some disaster has occurred, some evil act is perpetrated, the normal reaction, normal human reaction is, why? Why? We ask why. Why did he become sick? Why doesn't God provide the healing I prayed for? Why didn't I get the job I needed? Why didn't I get into the school that I wanted to attend? Why did that happen to him at such a young age? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why didn't it work out the way I prayed? Why? She was so young. Why? That's so unfair. Is there any justice in the world? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why? 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 You know, why is a short three-letter word worth 12 points in Scrabble, I believe. Yet it's a word so powerful and with an answer so elusive that philosophers have pondered this question for centuries, but to no avail. It's probably what caused the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, also identified as the preacher, to conclude in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Or in Psalm 73, the psalmist spent the entire psalm, 28 verses, to ask the question out loud, why do the righteous suffer 
and the wicked prosper. You know, I was in college, I had a, a buddy that was taking a philosophy class. Well, I don't know, because he was a finance and economics major like I was, but he was in there for some reason. And his final exam at the end of the class consisted of one question. It was an essay question. Why? Now, there were some that wrote several pages worth of answers and wrote out a long essay. They were probably going to be future attorneys. But the answer the instructor was looking for is why not? If only it was that simple. But it's not. Now, let's be honest. We've all asked these questions at some point, haven't we? I know I have. I'll confess that. Haven't we all at one time just thrown up our hands in complete discouragement and frustration and shouted, why? I have. I'll admit that. I imagine we all have. But you know what? This is not new. This is not a new question. It's not limited to me or to you or to our generation or to the generations that preceded us. It's actually a very ancient question, almost as old as the Bible itself. Consider these. In Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites, and they begin to speak to God, speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. Moses, Numbers 11. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. Why do I deserve the burden of these people? Job. Job in his uh, discussion, his uh, back and forth discussion with his friends and also wondering out loud to God, God or to, to God, Job cries out to God in Job chapter 7 verse 20. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? Elijah, in response to the news that the widow of Zarephath's son had died, the widow had took him in and cared for him and provided for him and blessed him in response to word that her son had died. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 57, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. Psalm 22, the very psalm that Jesus quoted from while hanging on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? You know, several years ago, there was a pollster named George Barna. And he asked Americans this question. He said, if you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would you ask? And by far, the number one response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Well, let's look back for a second. There are 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament divided between the major books of the prophecy, those that have been identified as major prophets by the, by the uh, academicians, major prophets and 12 minor prophets, the five books of the major, uh, five major books of prophecy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Lamentations, and then you have the 12 minor prophets. You know, really, they're, they're not called major and minor because of their relative importance, but mainly because of their size. We're talking about short books here. Short books with few verses, but many of them have a lot to say. Habakkuk contains only 56 verses in three chapters. And although Habakkuk is defined as a minor prophet, there's nothing minor about his message. He's writing about a topic that we all have and will think about eventually. And we really don't know that much about the man Habakkuk. We can assume that he was a contemporary of of Isaiah and probably Jeremiah, which would have placed him 10 or 15 years older than Daniel. But when Habakkuk saw the terrible moral decline of Judah, he prayed to God, do something. In his mind, he had no doubt, or in his mind, he probably had no doubt that God would raise up a good king, a holy king, a king, a physical king who was good and would follow God and follow his ways. And he would lead the people in the right direction. He would cause the people to repent. He would cause the people to turn back to God. Little did he know that God's answer would come by the way of the very hated enemy, the evil Babylonians. Habakkuk is unlike any other of the prophetic books. It uh, records a dialogue between a man and God. Isaiah contains a message from God. Jeremiah contains a message from God. Habakkuk records a dialogue with God, a conversation, this back and forth. And Habakkuk is trying to obtain an answer, and he's trying to answer the question himself, why? Chapter 1, verse 1, beginning verse 1, Habakkuk questions God. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why? 
Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. And I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The laws become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. So that justice has become perverted. We've all been there, haven't we? Maybe we wouldn't put it exactly this way, but when we're up against problems that there seems to be no human solution, we look to heaven and say to God, why don't you do something about this? You know, as this book opens here, Habakkuk is agitated and he's confused. And he says, Lord, where are you? Why don't you come and do something about this? Well, God gives an answer. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I am doing something in my own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. You know, taken by itself, without that last verse, verse 6, words might lead Habakkuk to think that God's going to send a mighty spiritual awakening to Judah. A revival. A revival would lead the nation out of idolatry and, and uh, a life that had turned their back on God and bring them back. And sometimes many use this verse as a basis for praying for revival in our day. And it's certainly appropriate, and we certainly ought to pray for revival. But that's not what this verse is about. God is going to send something, but it's not a revival. You know, probably nothing God had said, could have said, surprised Habakkuk more than these words. He knew about the Babylonians. Everybody knew about the Babylonians. They were the most hated and feared nation on the earth at this time. They were vicious and cruel. And under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, their armies plundered everyone around them, all the nations around them. No one could stand against them. They were just too powerful. No one could defeat them. And they were incredibly brutal and vicious, and they had a voracious appetite for destruction. If they wanted a city, they took a city. If they wanted a province, they took a province. If they wanted a nation, they took that nation. Nothing about this made sense to Habakkuk. The best way to think about it would be in this country. Think of the most absolute, violent, vicious group to take over this country, and God used them to bring his will to America. That's how completely foreign, completely dumbfounding this is. To Habakkuk. <clears throat> like I said, uh-oh. Can you advance the slide up there for me? 
So Habakkuk receives an answer from God again. But he's not going to like this answer. Because you see, the answer that Habakkuk received from God is not the one he was anticipating. Habakkuk was a man of God. And he was a prophet. And he even struggled with the very same question himself. Reading again here in Habakkuk. O Lord my God, my Holy One, why, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out? O Lord, our rock, you've sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you're pure and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Habakkuk doesn't like this answer that he's received. He thought, first he thought God was ignoring Judah's sin and he needed to intervene and turn them around back to God. But secondly, he never in his wildest dreams thought that God would use Babylon to correct them, to judge them. He was wrong both times. And what do you do and what do I do when God's actions don't meet our expectations? Does that cause further struggle and pain and difficulty? Does that make us want to throw our hands up even more and say, why? How do we respond to the Lord's answer when it wasn't the one we expected or intended? He's completely confused, Habakkuk is. He thought he knew the answer. And he struggled with, how could God do this? These are your people. How could you turn your back on us? It's a dialogue between a frustrated man of faith and a God he can't understand. He's troubled by something that troubles us all. He couldn't reconcile his view of God with all the injustice that he saw around him. I think we all get that. We all understand that. We all know that. God answers again. Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so a runner can carry the correct message to others. In other words, I want everybody to hear this. I want everybody to know this. Please uh, broadcast this message. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end. And it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. God may seem slow sometimes, but he's never late. He never delays in order to hurt us or to cause us more struggle or strife or difficulty or pain. He's always an on-time God. And have you ever noticed how when you're praying for something, maybe something really big or some direction, 
and the answer seems to take forever in coming. And when we're really concerned about it, it seems that we have to wait and wait and wait. And we might even give up. God's just not going to answer me. He's just not hearing me. He's just not going to give me the answer. Where is God? He cannot hear me. Then suddenly the answer comes, and God's will is clear to us. Why does it happen like that? You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and God doesn't answer, and God doesn't answer, and God doesn't answer, and then finally you're about to throw up your hands and say, okay, I give up. And the answer comes. Why? Why does God do that? Why does it happen that way? Well, I suspect there may be many reasons, but I believe chief among them is this, that God won't share his glory with anyone. Sometimes he delays his answer so we can or cannot say, hey, this was my faith and my prayer that brought this about. My prayer, my steadfastness brought the answer here. I was the difference. No, God answers in his own way, in his own time. And in the end, all we can do is end up saying, to God be the glory. God's saying to Habakkuk here, not today, not tomorrow, but the answer is on the way. Hold on. Wait for it. He even says here, it certainly will come. It surely will take place. The Babylonians will be judged. Where is this cruel, vicious nation now? And in the end, they will be and were destroyed. God will balance the scales of justice. But he's not working on our timetables. And though he seems to linger, and he seems to delay, and it seems that he's never going to give us an answer, he never hears us, he won't delay. He will give us the answer. So next time we feel like giving up, especially when we pray, understand that God will and God will always provide the answer, but it is own time. Our country and our world really has become so cynical, so skeptical and distrustful. It's growing more every day. So what is the answer? When you ponder the question, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to her or him? Or why is this going on in the world? Well, you can go back to the preacher from Ecclesiastes. At the very end of the book, he wrote, Here is the answer. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge everything for what we do including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Translation is, the world has enough problems on its own. Let's leave things up to God. He will answer. He's not going to let his people and his creation 
be destroyed. He's not going to let his people and his creation wait forever. He will answer. He will deliver. He will provide. You know, Habakkuk lived in confusing times. So do we. We don't always have the answers, and sometimes we do get discouraged. I know I do. I know you do. I know we're confused, and sometimes we're in the midst of despair. Everything seems to be going wrong. Everything seems to be against us. Everything in the world is happening to me. Yes, sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes all we can do is drop to our knees, literally and figuratively, and simply say to God, you're in control, and I trust you on this. I do. I don't have the answers. I don't know why this happens. I don't know why that happens. I just know God is in control, and he'll take care of me. He'll take care of you. You know, there's nothing that God can and can't and won't do. Sometimes it was recorded this way, is God's arm too short? In other words, God can do it, but at his time, at his schedule, according to his purposes. Well, God, even in this book of Habakkuk, he has the final answer. Towards the end of uh, chapter 2, this questioning from Habakkuk, is there an answer to this question? Why, why, why? God gives the final answer. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, this is probably the most widely known and quoted verse from Habakkuk. Usually, usually it was utilized to induce quiet upon worship services. I know when I was growing up and we heard this song, you know, Lord's in his holy temple, well, shh, church is about to start, be quiet. And it was used to uh, inspire reverence at worship services and places of assembly. But that's not accurate. Because the temple of God here in view is not a mere house of worship. It's not a place of assembly here on this earth. The place of God's residence is in heaven. And his being, if you will, is in heaven. God reigns in heaven. And he fills heaven with his presence, according to Isaiah. God's holy temple, therefore, is not the temple shrine in Jerusalem, but it is heaven itself, where God reigns, and where God will reign eternally, and where you and I will, will join him someday and be done with all the why here on this earth. The real meaning to this verse is God has not abandoned his creation. He sits upon his throne. It's universal in its authority and its power. And he's the almighty God. And the indecent and scandalous and evil behavior on this earth and the rebellion and the wicked acts that are occurring, such as 
Babylon here and Habakkuk. They'll dominate from time to time. They'll have their time in the sun. They'll seem like they're winning. But it's only under the permissive will of God that they even have what they have. Because God, who is all, and in all, and above all, will conquer. And all those who trust in the true God and strive to humbly do His will can rest in the assurance, the very uh, peaceful assurance, if you will, that our reward with Him is safe. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. All the noise of the evil and sin and rebellion around us will eventually subside. God will speak from the throne, the high and mighty throne at the appointed time, and all the nations all will surround him, and all the world will fulfill the commandment uttered here. Let all the earth be silent before him, because on that day there will be nothing left to be said. You know, God is faithful. He will not leave us or forsake us. He's already proven how much he loves us. He sent a son to die for us. That even conjures up another why question, if you will. Why, why would God do this for us? If there is all this going on in the world around us, and his human creations are corrupting this world and are continuing to find new and worse ways to corrupt his creation, why would God send his son? Why did he do it? Why would Jesus give up his life for me? Well, maybe the words to an old hymn that we sing sometimes before the Lord's Supper. That's filled with a lot of questions, but maybe it gives the correct answer. Why did my Savior come to earth? Why on the cross be lifted up? Because he loved me so. And a God and a Savior, his Son who loves you and loves me, will not abandon us. It may seem like it. It may seem like God is a thousand miles away, but he's not. I know I've been there. I've felt that. I know you have too, but he's not. He's ever-present because he loves us so. And you know, he loves you too. He's not promising a pain-free life, a life of success. He's not promising a life of conquest. But he does promise the final victory, just as he did to Habakkuk. He's promising the final victory. And that's really the only one that matters. You know, and he's waiting He's waiting for you, he's waiting for me to understand that he will not leave us or forsake us. So why, why in the world wouldn't we come to him? He's waiting for us even today. You know, there'll be some down front to assist you if you need to uh, be baptized into Christ or if you have a, a need or a concern, if you feel that God has abandoned you. We'd be glad to talk with you about that, help you with that, pray with you.
There'll be elders down front. There'll be elders in room 100. If we can help you today, don't ask why anymore. Just say, God, take control. Won't you come while we stand and sing?